there are two worlds surrounding you. One is the world they tell you about on the evening news. The other is the one they don't. You're listening to the Ian Wishart Investigates podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. I got captured once, I got captured by the Russians. I was at the end of a runway in Leipzig, and uh, I was in a tree. Next thing you know, there's a 357 in my head. Alan Brown's throwing me on the floor. While we were in the middle of the second day of meetings, the Secret Service showed up right, in Auckland, grabbed Cliff and says, get the hell out of here and get out of here now. We sat down in the White House with uh, President Reagan and had the Weinberger and Schultz were there, and I said... The Australian guy was picked up by the New Zealand police. He was deported back, he was sent back to Australia. He was assassinated 48 hours later. He was shot right through the Lincoln head. Episode 6. Welcome back. For most of us, the Pacific Islands are a tropical paradise, a great place to relax. But for the world's superpowers, the Pacific Islands are strategic stepping stones across the world's biggest ocean. So in the early 1990s, America's CIA hatched a plan to bankroll Royal Tongan Airlines so they could increase surveillance in Asia and the Middle East. I'm Ian Wishart, and this is episode 6 of my podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. In this episode, Cliff reveals more of the CIA plan and how he ended up arrested at gunpoint. The problem with, with me there was the fact that uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't get to me, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, only, I only reported to, to King, and that was it. And when he went ahead and signed something, or, you know, they, there was no questioning it. Yeah. They couldn't. They couldn't. Um, they couldn't get in between like they do with other. They did with other things, you know. Yeah, but wasn't it after just after you um, got removed from the equation, there was a plot to depose the king that seemed to have some sort of foreign involvement as well. I I would say more to go to a diplomatic. Uh, I think that the king. Uh, as he passes the throne down, it's going to, it's, the royal family is going to, going to become less and less involved as far as uh, you know running the country. Yeah, because that's, that's sort of the way that the king was going in. Is to try to privatize as much as he could, you know, and that uh, he would just, as the king, would be, you know, would the rule and major decisions, so like you know. Somebody had to be hung or something like that, or yep. giving out titles. You know, just sort of a, uh, well, like the Queen does now, you know. Yep. Parliament runs the country. And I think that's the right direction they could be going. But anyways, um, so we'll get on to what the, <coughs> so we don't get mistracked here. Um, the, the refinery was plan that I had started with the King and on a tour we took over here and uh, uh, we were looking, we're, what we were trying to set up was uh, alternative um, energy sources. Yep. So we were looking at wave power and uh, actually the, the best one we had found was uh, an incineration system to burn tires. Yep. And uh, I mean it absolutely worked. The, only thing the United States wouldn't give us the tires. We had millions and millions and millions of tires. Yep. And they wouldn't give them to us because they were afraid they were going to use them, you know, and pollute the environment. Yep. But all we were going to do was burn them. 
Yep. And uh, this thing just, anyway, so, and then I I met some people when I was in Texas, uh, setting up the airline, that um, they introduced me to a guy that uh, was the top oil refinery uh, guy in the business, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got to talking, and I said to the king, I says, well, I think it'd be just as good if we had our own refinery there. Yep. I said, we could uh, really give Australia and New Zealand a run for their money. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be so dependent on them. Yep. So then Tonga put up, oh, a quarter of a million dollars. Um, and they had Howard down there, and a the whole crew came down, and he went diving. and Howard? Uh, Howard, it's, uh, this other guy. Yep. Uh, anyways, and he uh, basically uh, located uh, a refinery location, said this is a stable place, and um, then from that, what I had done is begin to check on uh, refinery licenses, because I was sort of dealing in buying bulk crude oil anyways. Yep. And what triggered the thing was the fact that Tonga could get a refiner's license and become part of uh, OPEC. Yep. And then I went to uh, Standard Standard Oil Company, and uh, uh, and we were going to, and I'd gone over to Saudi Arabia and worked out a trade between uh, Saudi Arabia and Tonga. And then Iran wanted to get involved, and that's that's sort of when Iranians came down. Yep. Uh, they they wanted to uh, uh, supply us oil, crude oil. Yep. And then I would take the super tanker, and we would buy it from Tonga, and divert the ship to, to the United States because once it's out to sea, then we can sell it. Yep. And then we were, so we were going to trade and get the Alaskan crude oil, which is not as, as uh, not, not as nice a crude yep. as a Saudi fleet. And um, so we were going to make a trade. So Standard was going to trade, you know, the crude oil we needed. Yeah. And we were going to sell off the rest, you know. So basically, Standard in the States would take the Iranian oil, give you, yeah. give you a tanker load of Alaskan oil to bring down to your refinery. And you'd process that, and then do what with it? Sell it. Well, yeah, we were gonna we were gonna just supply all the islands. Yep. Fiji, American Samoa, Western Samoa, any place we wanted it. Mm-hmm. We could even sell it back to New Zealand. Yep. Because uh, at that time, and it's probably still even profitable, very profitable. That's why I don't want to do too much shaking up because it's still a very feasible idea. Yep. Um, is that uh, we would end up with jet fuel oh, for about uh, 30 cents a gallon. Wow. And bunker, which would be all the ships coming past there, uh, they were going to make a deep water port, and the ships would just come there just to buy the bunker. They wouldn't have to carry enough return fuel to you know, go back to their port. Yep. So it was very workable. And then the Iranians, when they got involved, then... They wanted me to fly over there. Well, then I said to the king, I said, I've got to check with our State Department because, you know, we've got a, 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 they had the hostages at the time. Yep. 
so we weren't allowed to, you know, Americans weren't allowed to do business with them. Mm -hmm. So the Saudi Minister of Finance came down and Minister of Oil, and they all came down to Tonga. That's when Steve got involved. And they all came down there, and then they got stranded. Yep. Because the guy that uh, was, was introducing that side of it knew the king as well, and he's the one that got bumped off by the, you know, from Australia. Yep. I don't know if you remember that situation or not. Did that receive any publicity at all? No. They just, they just vanished? Huh? Did they just vanish? Oh, yeah. That, that, that thing just... Um, I was. We were down there. Steve, I was, in fact, I stayed at Steve's house, and um, we went to the airport to meet him. Yep. And uh, when I come back, I called uh, my contact at the State Department, and he said, just a minute, and he put me on a conference call to New Zealand Secret Service. Yep. And I didn't say anything. I just listened. They said, well, yeah, so-and-so arrived at, uh, I don't know, 10 o'clock or something like that. Yep. We have him under surveillance, and we will probably be picking him up. Yep. Well, you know, so then they hung up, and then he called me back, and he said, my suggestion is you to get out of the country right now. <laughs> so next morning, I went to the king and uh, told him what was happening. And I said, there's something going down. Um, my suggestion is you call off this audience, and I'm leaving. And I took off to Singapore. Was the king in Auckland, was he? Yeah, he was in Auckland to have this meeting. Okay, yep. For these ministers. And uh, so they were, sitting in, they were sitting in a hotel waiting. Yep. And when I came back from Singapore a week later, they were still sitting there waiting and no way to get back. And, you know, they were promised all this and all that. So I just paid for their rooms and, you know, got them out of there and took them to Tonga. Yep. And it cost me about almost 50 grand. So you took these, they were Iranians, were they? Yeah, they were the ministers. Okay. And uh, Iranians or Saudi Arabians? Iranians. Iranians. Yep. And they went up to Tonga. They went to Tonga, and then we had a meeting with the king, and the king agreed to everything. And then they threw, or well, I threw, threw it to him. I said, "Look, at, we want to get the United States involved because I want to, I want to trade your your oil. They wanted me to buy them cement. They were going to give us as much oil as they wanted capital for." Yeah. So they wanted, they didn't want any money. All they wanted me to do then was to buy buy steel and cement and, you know, whatever they needed to build their country. Yep. And this is when Faye Richwhite got involved. When who? Faye Richwhite. Yeah. <coughs> That's right. Which one of them was handling it? Richwhite or Faye? Pardon me? Which one of the, the, the two executives, Michael Faye or David Richwhite, which one was the, was the key man in it? I, I think it's Michael. Michael. Yeah. Yep. And, um, so anyways, we, uh, we put together a package, and I said, look, I'm going to go to the State Department because I've got to clear this. Even though I had a Tongan diplomatic passport, you know, I still had mine. Yep. So I contacted my guy, and then I flew to California, or Washington, and I met with uh, uh, I think it was Weinberger or Schultz, either one or one of the two I met with. I met him two or three times. Yep. And uh, Secretary of Defense, I think it's Weinberg. And that would have been Thornburg, was it? Defense, huh? Was it Richard Thornburg who was Defense Secretary? 
no, no, Weinberger. Oh, Weinberger, I got you, yep, 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 yep. And um, so they then <laughs> took me into the CIA and they said, all right, look, we'll let you do this, but you go over there and uh, we want the hostages released and we'll give you carte blanche. Mm -hmm. So we, they gave me all the agenda. I went back to Tonga and uh, next thing I got a call from the State Department. He says, look, at, uh, we don't want you going over there right now because uh, they're going to start a war. <laughs> <laughs> and three days later, man, they had the war over there. Now, which one was that? Which war? That was the... That's when, when uh, Bush, you know... Um, that's when Iraq started attacking uh, Iran, wasn't it? Yeah. 88. Yeah. Yep, gotcha. And uh, anyway, so, I mean, I'd have been right in the middle of that thing. Yep. So uh, I knew then I had pretty good sources, you know. <laughs> well, so that's, you know, it just sort of got put on hold. Well, then the guys I had for the refinery, he was an Iranian. Yep. He was the, uh, right on the tip of my tongue, his father was the... Minister of, uh, God, I'd never forget that jerk's name. Anyways, he was the son of the uh, former Minister of, of, of Finance for uh, Iraq, Iran. Iran. And he was living in Texas. Yep. Well, we had, when Tonga put up the money, he got the, you know, he got the money, and it was supposed to go to, to the, the, the people to do the research for you know, setting up the refinery. We were going to go ahead and set it up anyways. Well, then this turkey just took off with the money. Yep. The Tonga got burnt. And, you know, here's Cliff right in the middle. He's got, you know, he's the one that brought everybody into this thing, and so I was the bad guy. And so I took as much money as I could get my hands on that I had saved and walked into the king and I said, look at I didn't know this guy was a bad guy, you know, paid him back. Mm -hmm. And uh, just about wiped me out between that and my shipping and the airline. It just it did wipe me out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the, that, the whole thing was a go. I mean, it went through the Privy Council, went through everything for the refinery. Yep. But the Khashoggi's had nothing to do with it. You know, okay. they were there. They wanted... They came to meet me to ask the king for diplomatic passports. Yep. They wanted to get uh, uh, Adman Shogi a place to hide. Yep. You know. This was during the Iran Contra heat. Mm -hmm. So this was '88, and then um, Connolly got involved. Yeah. How'd that happen? How'd that come about? Well, because of the oil well, then then it was standard. Uh, our government's really involved with anything, any of these big, big, big corporations like this. Yep. They got their, they got their fingers and their, that's how they get financed, you know. Yep. They let them do what they want, get their tax breaks, and um, then they get their source of revenue. Yep. <clears throat> well, Conley didn't like the idea of, number one, Tonga having its own airline, because I had... We had formed the airline. Then I came over here and formed uh, a U.S. corporation and get, and made a trade. I had 30% of the Tongan airline. Yep. 
and they took 25% of my airline over here. They being? Uh, Trans-Pacific Airways. Yeah, is that the one uh, based in Auckland? There was no, a... it's, it's, it's defunct. It's... No, the reason I ask is because there was a Trans-Pacific Airways based in Auckland for about three months. It's just a, a little company called Trans-Pacific or Trans-Pacific Airlines, I think it was called. Yeah. No, we didn't get started in Auckland. We it was strictly going to be a U.S. carrier. Yep. And what I had done, I mean, all in in all the preparation of this was, took the king and uh, the his uh, minister of um, uh, aviation. We went around to to China and to Japan and. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Germany. We went all around the world. Yep. And signed up bilateral landing agreements. Yep. I mean, we have they have two two flights a day into Japan, <laughs> which you can't even get <laughs> Tokyo. Good grief. Um, we've got you know two flights a day into Australia. Yep. You can't get that. Yep. Well, you know, can they just sort of laugh? Oh, Tonga, yeah, well, we'll fly into your country someday, and you fly into ours one day, okay. Yep. But what I had planned to do then was to get my airline started. And I took the king, we sat down in the White House with uh, President Reagan, mm -hmm. and said, and had and Weinberger and Schultz were there, and I said, this is what we're doing. I've got this airline that the government of Tonga owns 25% of, which is a legal amount. Yep. I'm a minority airline, and I want one-third of the U.S. mail yep. that goes to the Pacific. Yep. Well, they, man, they, excuse me, can we go outside for a minute? They said, why'd you bring this up in front of the, you know, the king like this? You, know, <laughs> you really put us on the spot. And I said, well, that's exactly why I brought the king here, because he's the head of state. Yep. And he's higher than the president. Yep. And with something, you see, the way I handled things was I just took the king in with me. Instead of negotiating with the little little guys around the corner, everybody get their little piece of the pie before it goes into the mm. final thing. I mean, it was, they caught him off guard completely. Yep. Well, so fine, we were filling out the papers and everything, and then I'm down at... Um, we, we fly down and meet with Fred Smith, with FedEx. Yep. And I said to him, I said, look, I'll give you two flights a day into Tokyo direct. Because when two countries have a, a bilateral agreement, in other words, if I fly from the United States to Tonga and Tonga is the United States, any, other, any third country, we can have what they call a fifth freedom. Yep. In other words, so we had a bilateral with, with Japan, and the United States has bilateral agreements with Japan. So by all you do is you change the uh, you know flight number, in the, you know, and so we could fly. My airline could fly direct from L.A. to Hong Kong, yep. or to uh, Hong Kong or Tokyo, wherever we wanted to go. Yep. Under the Royal Tongan Airlines yep. flag. Yep. Anyway, so Fred Smith just jumped up and down. And he was buying MD-11s, and he said, yeah. I said, well, we want $350 million. He said, no problem. Yep. And so I was, you know, really, that said, okay, that's it. See, we had, all we had to do was fly one plane, boom, and we were an official airline. And everybody, I was, I was going to cut a deal with Air New Zealand, everybody. You know, I wasn't going to run no airline. Yep. Then 
Uh, we flew to Texas. I'm coming out of the story. Sure. Anyway. We flew to Texas, and I met with the uh, chairman of American Airlines. Yep. And who was that? Thought, oh, that was um, Blair. What's his name? He's still chairman. Uh, uh, anyways, we met with him. Had, yep. a, had a real nice lunch. But then um, I get approached from Secret Service. They said they wanted me to meet some people. I said, okay. And but they're taking me in the Secret Service car. And we go downtown Dallas, and we go to this real slummy part of town. Yep. Get out of the car, and we walk up to this really slum-looking house, right? Mm-hmm. Open the door, and next thing you know, I'm in an elevator going down. I don't know how many floors or how deep, but we went clear down to Dallas. Yep. And I'm walking down these hallways, and da 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 Next thing you know, I'm in a secret CIA headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am just, just, I remember that movie, uh, Get Smart, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, where he'd go with his shoe and all that stuff. Man, I felt like I was in that movie. <laughs> and we're down there, and they take me in this big conference room, and they say, well, look, here's the story. We're going to let you have the airline. That's how they told me. We're going to let you have the airline, but here's our, here's our deal. We will have to have our pilots on your flights. And we will put our surveillance equipment on the plane. And I says, well, you know, I don't know what this is all about, but I've got to take this up to my partner. Yep. Well, who is that? I said, the king. Yep. I said, because it's his airline. I only own a portion of it. Yep. Well, if you want to have your airline in the United States and you want to ever fly an airplane, we strongly suggest that you go along with what we're talking to you about. Yep. I says, I'm telling you, I'll go along with whatever the king wants to go because I says, it's his airline. Yep. I says, why do I want to spy on my own partner? Hmm. You know? Anyways, um, so... When you say surveillance equipment, do you mean um, surveillance interior of the plane or were they putting little cameras on the outside of it to photograph what they were flying over? They wanted. They wanted to... They, they could see a bigger picture than what I was even interested in, is that I would be going into Japan and Tokyo, uh, Taiwan, China, as a private carrier. Yeah. Okay? Under tongue and flag carrying freight. Because yep. I wasn't interested in passengers. Yep. And uh, so then I was after what would have just, I mean, it was millions and millions of dollars a year just in guaranteed revenue just from the mail. Yep. And they'd have to give it to a minority uh, U.S. company. Yep. You have to have a, if you have a minority, well, the king was a minority. Mm. Third world country. What did the CIA get out of it? What was their plan? Their plan was they could, they could envision a whole network, a whole spy network. Hmm. They would fly. Their pilots would be there as agents. Yep. Every every airport we they also were flying into China. Yep. And flying into you know uh, Iran or any any every country that we would go. All of a sudden, I would be you know uh, because I would have a contract with FedEx. See. Yep. So it would be their stuff, but it would be the whole the whole plan was to to. Uh, to set up a whole system, an uh, intelligence system. 
Yep. And um, how many planes were they looking at you guys having? Well, I'd have had I'd have had access to all, all the FedEx planes. I got gotcha. you. Because they would have just flown under Tongan flag for that segment. Yep. So I just know that FedEx, when they fly international, uh, has got their fingers in the pie. Yep. I mean, I, you're just not, I found out the hard way, you're not going to buck these guys. Mm. You're not going to go up against them, because I came back to him and I said, oh, I passed it, passed it to his majesty, and um, at this time he doesn't want to do it. He isn't interested. He doesn't want anybody involved. Yep. He says, well, you realize what this will cost you. Well, then Conway, he was from Texas, see? Yep. And next thing you know, I'm getting life-threatening. Uh, I mean, they just literally threatened my life. I mean, they said, you best not come back to the United States. You know, it's good for you. <laughs> And you best stay out of the oil business. And, you know, all of a sudden I thought... Was this Connolly Simons? Yeah. Yep. This, uh, yeah, and I went straight to the Secret Service, and they said, well, we do have some things under surveillance, but, uh, you know, he has his way of handling things, and he said uh, he uses the newspaper a lot. And if he wants to really do somebody under it, I mean, they'll just... Your, your headlines. Yep. And um, so I, then I started getting, you know, my eyes open. I weren't, I wasn't. Uh, next thing you know, well, we had, and we had a shipping company going already, Pacific Shipping yep. Company, which had been running a couple of years. Well, uh, th when this oil thing happened, I had to sell my share in the shipping company, raise the money to buy, uh, to pay back for, what this Hussein Mustafi. Hussein Mustafi. Yep. Yep. His father was the Minister of Oil. I knew I'd remember <laughs> talking to Turk. Anyways, I had him deported out of the United States and his family. Yep. Because I mean he I could have put him in prison, but I just it just revoked his passports and uh, as I said, he ripped off you know I mean he took the government for a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. And uh Anyway, so, let's see, I don't know, then, next thing you know, our ship sunk in Fiji, yep. in the harbor, and then Soprano got involved. Soprano Unilines. Yep. Yep. And they are the biggest crook you'll ever want to know. That Frenchman, man. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they're, they're bloodthirsty. Yep. And um, anyway, so then when I when I refused to to go along with the airlines, I was working taking the airline public. but I was just a, just a couple of weeks away from the public offering for Trans Pacific Airways in the states. You mean in the states? Yep. And I'd had a, had the whole package put together, and I had ordered two DC 1030s yep. from McDonnell Douglas, and uh, I was getting two of them for 25 million dollars. Yep. And the king was going to meet me in Singapore. Oh, I forget, like it was a Friday or something like that. And this was the the, 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 the 
week before, I, the next week, the one, the following week, I was supposed to meet the king in Singapore. Yep. With the, with the investors, and then the Singapore, uh, a big Singapore company was going to take the, the public offering on the international side. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and we figured we'd raise a lot of money because we had we couldn't make any promises on our public offering, but the word was out that you know I was signing a deal with FedEx to fly all over the world. Yep. And uh, so it, it looked it looked really good. Well, everybody was really courting us and all that, and I get a phone call from uh, one of our guys in Mississippi, and he says, "Clip, I got some guys here that uh, want to invest in the airline." And I said, well, you know, they can take it up when we go public. They said, no, they want the offering. Bef- they want to buy. They want to buy in before it goes public, so they can supposedly make a bigger swing on it. You know, their money. Yeah. They said, well, they have about twenty-five million to fifty million in cash, and they want to know if they can uh, ship it. You know, divert it through Tonga or someplace else, and. Uh, not pay taxes in the United States. Yep. And uh, I said, well, you know, I'm really not too interested, but um, they said, and they kept calling me. I said, look, if these guys are for real, then like a fool, I ended up, I went down to Mississippi. and um, Down from? L.A. Down from L.A., okay. And my wife even told me on the Sunday night before I left, I don't feel good about this. I don't think he should go. Yep. Well, I took my two partners, and uh, we flew a commercial jet, but these guys were supposed to have $25 million in cash, so I had another Learjet lined up that they didn't know about because they wanted to know how I was going to get the money back to California. Yep. And uh, when, you, when you say lined up, lined up where? Well, I had it at the airport. L.A.? No, no, no. I had oh, Mississippi. Mississippi but yep. They didn't know about it. Yep. In other words, I'm talking to my guys, and I said, look, if we got to move $25 million cash yep. back to the banks here, you know, someone's going to hijack us. I, you know, what the heck's going to happen? I don't know what this is all about. Yep. Anyway, so we got back there, and I'm just so, I'm really not, I, I don't think I'm really intentionally dishonest or try to do anything really crooked. Yep. That, I don't think so. I, you know, I, isn't, I'm not, I'm not no angel, but I, I eventually am not going to get involved in drugs or, you know, anything. And I'm very careful about that. Yep. Well, these guys are talking to us and we meet in this place and, well, we're going to bring all this money. Well, what it was, it was all, it was a CIA sting. Next thing you know, I got a 357 Magnum in my head and, and slammed around the room and, you know, and I'm off to jail. How'd they set you up in that way? How'd they look? Yeah. They lured me out of California, first of all, so that's interstate travel. Yep. I went out of one state to another state to conduct business. Yep. That they claimed was illegal. Yep. And, they, you know, they called it money laundering. And, but the, um, and I mean, they were nasty. Mm. 
And when I got into court, even, the judge says, well, you know, they had it all videotaped. It was just nothing but a sting. They come in as a corporation, an offshore corporation that was had money, and it's totally legal. If I make money outside the United States and pay taxes in the country that I make the money, I do not have to pay taxes in the United States. That's right. General Motors does it. I mean... The big corporations all do it. Yep. You do not have to bring the money back, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're talking and we say, well, listen, I don't want to pay income tax. Well, I mean, I didn't have a problem. If you don't want to pay your taxes, don't pay your taxes. Mm. But you see, the fact that we talk about it, that's a conspiracy. Yep. And the United States is the only country that has a conspiracy law. Yep. And we just discuss it. Yep. It doesn't mean that we do it. Yep. Well, so next thing you know, they got me for conspiracy to launder money. Yep. To avoid taxes, income tax. And then they said, well, you understand. I mean, in the videotape that shows me, they said, you understand this is drug money. And they showed me getting up off the chair, and I said, I will have nothing to do with this. I'm sorry. I pass. I'm out of here. Yep. You know, and I told the guy, Brian, I said, look, told you before, and I'm telling you right now, I want nothing to do with it. I don't have to have anything to do with it. I'm going public next week. I said, and I got to meet the king back down in Singapore. So what do I, I, don't, I don't, why do I have to cut my throat like this? I'm sorry, guys. Well, calm down, calm down, calm down, you know. And I, you know, I just walked into a trap. Mm. Steve said there was a New Zealand government official in quote marks involved. What now? In quote marks, I'm saying official. Steve was under the impression that um, one of the people involved was a CIA agent who was ensconced firmly within the New Zealand government and been helping you out. He'd help set you up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was it? Jim Jim Brown, but that's not his real name. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) In the sense of. He started, he came down to Tonga. Well, that, that's how I... That's was, he, how I was he American or Kiwi in terms of his accent? No, I think he was... Uh, no, no, he sort of had like a Texan yep. southern draw. And he was with the civil aviation here? He came down there with them, yep. yep. He, was, he was doing something with the FAA. Yep. Our FAA in, in, in connections with, with your... Uh, that's what it's your uh, civil aviation. Yeah, civil aviation, yeah. Yep. But he came to Tonga and ended up getting real close to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was just not a personal friend, but he was very close. We were very good friends. Yep. And I had no idea he was because he's the one that set the meeting up in Mississippi. <laughs> and, and that's why I went back there because he called me up and he says I have these investors lined up and he was the guy what did you understand his job to be prior to obviously discovering what he was well he, he was just well, prior to that he, he was he was really working with the uh, Tongan Minister of Aviation yeah and he went with me Oh, probably a half a dozen times with the king and with uh, Dr. Cavaliku, yep. Minister of Civil Aviation, uh, 
to uh, negotiate the bilateral agreements. Yep. I mean, he was right abreast of everything that was going on. And he was based in Wellington at the time. He went. He was in. He was. He was. Uh, well, I went to Wellington a lot. Yep. I, I didn't know he was where he was actually based. He spent a lot of time in Tonga. Yep. Probably about ten months. Yep. And did did he say what department he was working for at the time? You know, I, 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 I just, you know, I don't really think so. Yeah. I know he was, he was working with, uh, with another guy that was from New Zealand. Yeah. That got transferred up to Tonga. Yep. And then I think he since had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Last something. Um, and he, he seemed to report to him a lot. Because we had a lot of meetings at their house, you know, on the wharf, and um, he, he spent a lot of—I mean, working on airports and you know stuff like that. So I assumed he was from—I knew he was from the states, but he had—he had spent two or three years, I think, in New Zealand. Yeah. And I don't even know he might even still be down there, you know, going back and forth because he—and he might not have. Yeah, well, it sounds like he could have been down there just to, um, I suppose, keep an eye on the Pacific trade routes, if you like. And oh, definitely. Now I see what I mean. The, I mean, the whole thing. I'm sitting there and might say, you know, in college. Yep. In jail. And man, I, this whole picture just comes together. I go, man, alive was I ever naive. I mean, when I when I, I and even when it, you know when the State Department warns me get out of the country. Yep. Get out of New Zealand. This guy's going to get picked up. Then I find out three weeks later he's actually bumped off. Yep. Literally. And this was the guy that was bumped off was the son of the um, Iranian minister. No, no, no. No, this this is the guy that uh, that uh, Steve and I were going to meet from Australia. Yep. And he didn't show up. Oh, they didn't show up. He, he didn't show. Well, he did show up. Yep. They had picked him up. Yep. And that left the Iranians stranded in Auckland. Yep. And then I just I moved them up to to Tonga, you know. And yep. So how'd they end up in, in Australia getting bumped off, or was that where they were based? But now who was that? The um the three Iranians who got um, knocked off. No, 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 no. Let's just back it up. One guy got knocked off. One guy. Yep. That I know of. Yep. And he was an Australian, <clears throat> and he was into drug trafficking and a lot of other things that I didn't know of. What was his name? Can you recall? Uh, you know, Steve had known him. He was, and I know, I know another guy can find his name, but um, he had spent a lot of time, and the king had given him a diplomatic passport. Yep. Even before I had gotten involved in Tonga. Yep. And. So he showed up on the scene. Well, then, when we were doing the oil refinery, the king says, well, let me get a hold of, and this is talk, I'll probably think of his name. Yep. Because um, he represents Iran, the Iranians in uh, Australia. Yep. So next thing you know, this guy's flying into Tonga, and we're meeting, and he says, okay, I'll arrange for this here, and I'll have the minister here, and I'll have all the key people all the key players. So next thing you know, well, they're all in. They're all in um, 
they're on their way to Auckland. And I said to the king, I said, we got to go to Auckland. So we went to Auckland. And he was standing by for the meeting with them. And when I sent in, all of a sudden, I got the warning to get out of there. And I went to the king. I said, the meeting's off. I said, I'm going to go back home. Yep. And so he did. He, he pretty well really listened to me. Yep. Because I... I wasn't there to take advantage of Tonga or to hurt him or anything. I mean, I, I, there was too much money to be made, just absolutely, legitimately, above board. There was no reason to do things, you know, crooked. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's a it's a real gold mine down there. They do it legitimately. Yeah. Anyways, and so from that, and I took off to Singapore, met with some people, came back, and the Iranians were still sitting in the hotel. Hmm. So I said, come on, go to Tonga. Yeah. Well, we can't, we're not allowed to wire any money. You know, here, these are ministers. Yep. But your law says they can't wire any money in. And, uh, you know, we can't even pay the hotel room because this man agreed to pay everything. Yep. And we're not allowed to bring any money out of Iran. So, you know, here I said, okay, here's my American Express card. I went down and paid for the hotel room, and man, it was, they were eating first class, you know, it was like 20 grand. <laughs> this guy in Australia came into New Zealand, and next thing you know, he's been bumped off. And I really confirmed it through my, my guy at the Australia, New Zealand uh, Civil Aviation, because they used him to go out and stop the plane because he had flown in on a private plane. Yep. And you can't really go and search and stop a private plane. So this was the the, the guy in New Zealand Civil Aviation is the American guy who was working there. Yeah. Yep. And so they went out and they 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 stopped the plane on the runway. At Auckland. At Auckland. Yep. And because of the civil aviation rule that says they have, they can check any plane they want at any time for safety. Yep. And that's how, that's how they stopped him, and I guess he had a plane load of drugs or something. <laughs> so, I take it he wasn't flying a Cessna or something. I don't even know. I don't know what kind of plane he had. Yep. So he got picked up at that point and turned back around and sent to Australia. Well, he, was, he never made it back to Australia. Well, he vanished in New Zealand. Someplace. They just—he never made it home. He got. Yeah, no, that—that's what I'm telling you. He got bumped off. Well, now I know that Jim, you know, is the one that. <laughs> I mean, he's telling me how nice a guy he is and all that, and then he sticks a 357 Magnum in my head, you know. Yep. He, then he tries to calm me down. And he says, "Look, you know, I'm sorry I had to do that." And I says, "You know what? I don't trust you or believe a word you say anymore." I just want to talk to a lawyer. Man, I said, you got to be, well, he's the one that has stopped the plane, you know? Yep. Not an Australian, so I figured, I said, then, then I always said, man, these puppies, they play for real. You know? <laughs> and when they want you to disappear, they want you to disappear. And they were trying to get me, uh, I, I was looking at 25 years. Yep. And then the judge just, he threw it out, he said, look at and you know they, he, they didn't want to use the videotape only for certain certain segments of the conversation. The, case, yep. uh, the judge says, "No, we're going to look at the whole thing." It's look at this man standing up there refusing to talk to you guys. Hmm. Why didn't you tell? Why didn't you tell me this? 
you know? Yep. So then he just uh, ended up getting a year. Yep. You know, which was... Uh, oh, did Jim get stung as well? No. No, no. no. Oh, you got in. Oh, you, no, no. Yeah. He, he yeah. was the leader. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, he was the one that stung me. Yeah, well, that's, what, that's what I thought you just said. He, he ended up giving... Uh, he ended up getting stung. Judge gave, yeah. He ended up judge giving me a year. Yeah, gotcha. And so what time frame are we talking about here? When, when was it that you were arrested? What year? 93, 92. 93? About the end of 92. End of 92? Yeah. Okay. Um, and the oil refinery, when was that going down? Oh, 80. 88. Okay, so you you've been trying to get the airline established for some time, obviously. If uh, Connolly was jumping up and down about the airline, oh yeah, yeah, no, I I, I spent a million bucks doing it. Yep. Of my own money. Yep. I mean, I didn't ask anybody for a dime. Yep. I didn't ask the king for nothing. That's probably where I made my mistake, you know. Yeah. But uh, I did the whole thing myself because I figured in I got nobody to blame but myself. Yep. But I knew if I could sell just two two flights a week into Hong Kong or to Tokyo for three hundred million dollars, I I didn't mind putting up a million dollars. Yeah. You know, it was all legit, but they didn't want me to do it. Yeah. And they told me, and in Texas they told me, <laughs> if you don't do what we say, we'll be sorry. And how long after the Texas meeting was it that uh, they got you? Oh, oh, about a year and a half. About a year and a half. So you continued um, popping along and doing it your own way at that stage? Mm -hmm. Yep. And did Connolly actually come down to Tonga? No. No? No. Had two or three of his henchmen come down there, but... But he stayed no. up. Did, did you ever speak to him personally? Nope. Nope? Nope. So it's just his, his, basically his team were making threats? When I was in Texas, I met all of his onshore. Yep. Senator Connolly, Senator Connolly's team. I mean, he's a senator. Yeah, well, was wasn't he? He's dead now. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And he was involved with a company called. He was big in the oil business, see. Yeah, he was involved with a company called Tidewater, wasn't he? Yep. 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 Okay. They wanted. That's how. They they wanted Tidewater. <coughs> wanted to take over the refinery thing. Yep. And then. Um, Hussein said, no, we don't need them. Yep. We can do it ourselves. We just put a little 50,000 barrel a day refinery there. Yep. It was strictly to get the license to buy crude oil. Yep. And Tonga was going to reap all the benefits because I was going to just trade, trade crude oil at sea. Yep. And those are $100 million deals. Mm. You know, super tanker of crude oil, uh, you know, at that time it was like 18 bucks a barrel. Yep. And he took a million barrels in it, so you know what that is. Great Sacks in Berlin. Confessions of an American Spy continues in a moment. He's been shot at, tear gassed, mugged, arrested, electrocuted, and almost assassinated. And he still keeps coming back for more punishment. With more lives than a cat, you're listening to Investigate Daily's Ian Wishart on Live365.com. Talk radio for grown-ups. Coming up on the next episode. Hello. Hello, is it David Richwhite? Speaking. Ian Wishart calling from Howling at the Moon. How are you? 
just seeking. Yeah, how are you? Good. Oh, I'm sure you're always pleased to hear from me. Um, seeking a couple of questions. Um, first of all, Faye Richwhite were involved on the fringes of a um, oil refinery project in Ponga, late 80s. Didn't go ahead. Yeah, Ian, I'm in, I'm in a meeting at the moment. If you have questions you want to ask me, I suggest you put them in writing. Yep. And then send them to my office. That's the... And I'll decide whether or not I'll answer them. Okay, 366. I mean, clearly, clearly you're not my favourite person in the world. <laughs> I appreciate um, that point. I reckon most of the research you do is crap. Great Saxon Berlin. Confessions of an American Spy is an Ian Wishart podcast. Follow Ian Wishart on Facebook or Twitter or through your podcasting service. I see you suffering in silence is as undying your heart in you look lost can I help you to find